0: I felt impressed this week uh, on this subject, and I just uh, decided to preach on it. So we're we're leaving the book of of Luke here for a moment, for this message at least. And I want to talk about suffering. Uh, Perhaps the Lord's preparing us for something. (laughs) But suffering is uh, something that Christians must recognize that they will face. All Christians must face suffering. And it depends on what that kind of suffering is. It may be persecution, it may be sickness, it may be tragedy of some kind. I mean, there's all kinds of suffering. So we read here in Hebrews chapter 13, this is my text for the morning, from chapter 13, verses 12 and 13, Jesus also suffered outside the gate. He accepted Norm (laughs) outside the city. He was not welcome in the city any longer. They took him outside the gate and crucified him. In order, and here's the reason he had to suffer, to sanctify the people, his people, those he purchased with his blood, to make them holy. And that was outside the gate too. See, this is the important truth. Through his own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats, but his own blood. Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. And the idea here is let's go suffer with him. He suffered for us. Let us go suffer with him. Not for in a redemptive sense, not at all but uh, to identify ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ in His suffering. So the message I preached on last Lord's Day morning, on, I dealt with the issue of faith, uh, great faith. The uh, centurion had great faith, a Gentile with great faith. And we define that term uh, faith in, in the sense of trusting God. It's trusting God. Trusting Christ, trusting His Word, trusting what He said, and then evidencing that trust in persevering obedience to the Word of God. This perseverance then assumes, when you when you mention the word perseverance, it assumes something. It assumes difficulties. It assumes these difficulties that necessitate. A spirit enabled determination in the heart to press on to something hoped for. And that's despite seemingly impossible circumstances. You look around and say, I don't know how that's possible. God said it was, He gives us hope that hope then should enable us by the spirit of god to press on toward that hope anyway because that hope then is our that's our guiding star as it were till we reach the goal to reach the end that our faith inspires us to encourage, to press on to. All believers will endure suffering if they are truly His. And Paul declared that there in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Tremendous passage. And we know that for those who love God, all things, and when Paul uses that all things, he's talking about every circumstance of our lives, whether good or whether hard, whether it's delightful or whether it's disastrous. All things work together for for the good, for the good to those or for those who are called according to his purpose. And then Paul immediately gives us that purpose. The little, the word for describes the purpose. Here's the purpose. He's, he's, this, everything is for a purpose and here's the purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So what's Paul telling us? He's telling us that everything we experience in our lives, and I'm preaching to myself here. I'm I'm preaching to the choir, as it were, because I need this encouragement. That everything that happens in our lives happens according to his plan to bring us into conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. And we look at it and said, "I don't. That's hard. I don't want to have to go through that." But yeah, God says you need to, because I'm. I want to sanctify you. I want to make you into one who reflects Jesus Christ, the image of Jesus Christ. And so, as we shall see in this message, suffering then is used by God to wean us off the flesh. We, we love the flesh. We, we, we live in the flesh. We desire to lean on the flesh. We think that we have it within ourselves to be able to do what uh, everything that we want to do, and that's just not going to work. And God says, no, I need to wean you off of that flesh, and I need to bring you into con- to conformity to Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit of God working in you. And earlier in Romans, there in chapter 5, verses five, 3 to 5, He said, We rejoice in our sufferings. Isn't that interesting? God often uses suffering over anything else. We rejoice in our sufferings. And how is it? Because we trust God. And in that trust, it says, Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character christ-like character and character produces hope the goal and what we hope for does not put us to shame isn't that glorious Interestingly, yesterday, or Friday, Friday was, our missionary Paul Snyder posted the following quote here from R.C. Sproul on his Facebook page. And I read that and I said, that's confirmation. Listen to the quote. R.C. Sproul. We should be comforted and consoled by the fact that our suffering is neither futile nor ultimately tragic it may be very painful and difficult to endure for a moment or for the moment but god stands sovereign over our suffering isn't that interesting yes god stands sovereign over our suffering because God uses that suffering to conform us to Christ. Or at least, that's the plan. Hebrews 11. And my thinking was, I'm, I was doing some thinking and meditating there in, again in Hebrews chapter 11. And that's what really led to this message. But in Hebrews chapter 11, we have this truth illustrated showing both the resistance faced and the reward offered to the people of god the resistance they face in their pursuit after the things of god and the reward which is offered to them and that's the whole theme of that 11th chapter and it begins with abel And then we have a litany of Old Testament saints who persevered through various trials, suffering cruelty even to painful death because their hope was set on the promises given to them by God himself. And even as their life came to an end, we read this interesting truth. These all died in faith. Not having re- received the things promised. These Old Testament saints believed in hope for something better. And they pursued it with, a, with all they had. And then as they, as they come to the end of their life, they still haven't realized it. Yet they died in faith. Believing that what they were hoping for would become a reality to them. Says, but see, and here's the reason. It says, there in verse 12, but see, having seen them and greeted them from afar. So when Abraham closed his eyes, he said, I, I I don't see the city, but it'll it but I believe it's there and it's coming. This acknowledgement forced them to see that what they were actually were were strangers and exiles on the earth. And then this text continues explaining their that their hope for the people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland are you comfortable with this earth are you come you know i'm a citizen of the united states and i i'm proud of my country but i'm going to tell you something i'm not living for my country i'm not a citizen here anymore when Jesus Christ bought me with his blood and his spirit brought me to salvation, I became the citizen of a heavenly country. So, I'm not not seeking a homeland here. I'm seeking one there, a better country, a heavenly one. And for that reason, the scripture says God's not ashamed to be called their God. Isn't that interesting? I'm not ashamed of you. (laughs) Why? Because he's the one who prepared for them the city. So what the aim here of of Hebrews is to encourage believers and... He's writing here to a number who were beginning to waver in their faith because of their suffering. They were becoming discouraged in it. So, although the scripture encourages us by recording the triumphs of many who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, con- uh, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put on, put foreign armies to flight. That's verses 33 and 34. Boy, wouldn't we like to see that? <laughs> see these triumphs? See people saved? See, see the church grow and, and uh, be built up? But... This same passage also informs us of many saints who suffered mockings and beatings, imprisonments, and even death. And the author concludes with an important truth often missed. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided for us Something better. You see that? Why didn't Abraham realize the heavenly city? Because. God said. Abraham can't experience it. Until Jeff is brought into line. With this plan. And you. And. Those that'll be born maybe next year born again. He's they can't experience the reality of his things because he's provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Notice that word perfect. Verses 39 and 40. In other words, Old Testament saints did not receive promised reward because that promise could not be fulfilled until the new covenant saints were included with them. That's God's plan. And we aren't re- experiencing it because there are some new covenant saints yet to be included the better thing promised is what a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God he's prepared them a city this city is described in chapter 12 a city of the living God a heavenly Jerusalem verse 22 in the city to be found innumerable angels in festal gathering won't that be interesting the assembly of the firstborn that's us god the judge of all the spirits of the righteous made perfect whoop there's that word again (laughs) fully sanctified and best of all jesus the mediator of this new covenant that's verses 22 to 24 what the wavering saints did not understand and and what was what was in their present condition is that they needed to be made perfect the word translated perfect here is means to be complete or finished it's not possible for Old, Saint, Old Testament saints to realize their perfection until Christ came. See, they're before Christ. That's their, that's their number one issue, is that they couldn't be made perfect because Christ has not yet come. And only Christ it will make them perfect. In fact, this is what we read. He is the founder and perfecter of faith. Chapter 12, verse 2. And then, not until the old covenant saints, or excuse me, till the new covenant saints are were brought in, could they be made perfect. So, being made perfect is the goal of salvation. What's God's plan for you is for that you should be made like Jesus Christ, a complete, totally transformed life like that of Jesus Christ. And all old covenant saints and new covenant saints will be perfected together at the second coming of Jesus Christ when, when He appears. Then we read that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. When He appears, we shall be like Him for because we shall see Him as He is. I'm being sanctified, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> And I won't be until Jesus Christ appears. And when he appears instantly, I'm going to be like him. Because I'm going to see him as he is. So, the question is, what's involved in this process of perfecting? So, we're going to take a ride here through the book of Hebrews and find out. The book is really divided into three major divisions. The first division is the supremacy of the Son. This would be chapters, roughly chapters 1 through chapter 6, about halfway through verse 12. In this section, we find Jesus compared with angels. He's better than any angel. And with Moses, that the Hebrew people looked up to so highly. No, Jesus is superior to even Moses. And then in the second section, we find the certainty of God's promise emphasized. And it's here it presents the superior the superiority of Christ's anointed office. Christ is prophet, priest, and king. He is the only one that, that ha, has all of these offices, but there's one office. And that's his priesthood, his priestly office, which is so much better than that of the Aaronic priesthood because he was appointed a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, not Aaron. And this depends on a new covenant as well because the old covenant is not sufficient. We see that in chapter 6, verses 13 through chapter 10, verse 18. And then the third section of the book, I would label as the full assurance of faith, which is the enabling of saints to draw near to God with a true heart as they endure the hard struggle with suffering that they endure. We see this in chapter 10, verse 19 through chapter 12, verse 29. The, the book closes with chapter 13, which uh, is really a, a, a kind of summary of summing things up with final exhortations and greetings. So let, let's get into it here quickly. The Hebrews opens by introducing Jesus as superior in His standing. So we read there in verses 1 and 2, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Wow, that's, that's marvelous. God calling the prophets and sending them to the people with a message. But here's something better. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. The transfiguration the uh, was mentioned here at, at uh, the table where Peter and James and John saw Jesus gloriously trans uh, transfigured there and standing with who Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets and these men in their confused mind Peter in particular said uh, we need to we're, we need to build three tabernacles here one for Moses, one for Elijah and one for Jesus. And God broke broke into the conversation and He said, That's enough! Listen to my son. Moses and the prophets end with Jesus. Hear Him. He has spoken unto us in these last days by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things. So, let's consider then the supremacy of the Son. Citing a number of Old Testament scriptures, Jesus is introduced as God's firstborn Son. Coming into the world, His incarnation. We're celebrating that time of the year. In his incarnate state, he is compared uh, over angels over which he has been exalted and to whom they all worship, verse 6. And yet, here's an interesting thing. This chapter closes with a with a question, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Yes, Jesus is superior to angels. And we think, whoa, angels, wow. No. Hebrews says, their servants, your servants. Do you believe that? Angels are there to take care of you. Angels worship the sun but they served the saints. Then Jesus is declared to be the founder of salvation with respect to the world to come. In other words, God's salvation involves a long period in which this plan is being worked out. He cites there from Psalm 8, verses 4 to 6, to explain God's plan for his creation for his creature his creation and his creature man this plan was that through, though created in a lower status than that of angels they would be given dominion over creation think about that everything God spoke into existence Then he created Adam, and then he said to Adam, I want you to take charge. I'm going to give you dominion over the works of my hands. And as I previously taught, I really believe that it was here, uh, that uh, in this declared purpose of God, that caused Satan to rebel against God and to usurp that dominion for himself. So he tempted Adam and Eve, and they fell. And so scripture refers to Satan as the God of this world, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And this was the objective of Satan's attempting, first attempting man, and that's what's involved in his dealing with you. He believes he has superiority over these things. And God said, no, you don't. He's even been already cast down. He is a liar and a deceiver. And I think he has deceived himself. But in the meantime here, this in this plan that God is working out to recover everything that was lost in the, this, uh, the fall of Adam, the first Adam, his incarnate son will then the second Adam, as the second Adam, or the last Adam, be used of God to redeem humans and perfect those humans and then to establish the world to come, that is, a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Wow! That's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. But here's the problem. Many believers think that they should be enjoying the new creation now and we do in some respects we're supposed to be rejoicing all the time and but we're supposed to be rejoicing even in our sufferings but we read here that at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels namely jesus this is In verses 8 and 9. And we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. Because, notice, of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That is all of his own. His substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus, not the world to come. Must be the focus of our pilgrimage. How can I rejoice in my sufferings? Because I look to Jesus. Who suffered for me. And how he endured the cross. And despised the shame. And is set down at the right hand of God. So here. The the plan of God is plainly stated. In verse number 10. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, he's the one who's created it all. Now he's become part of that creation himself. And he did so to bring many sons to glory. And he did this by being the the founder of their salvation. And in that process to perfect everything through suffering he became perfect through suffering how could how could a perfect savior be, be, be made perfect because that's what it says that he should be the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering he, he finished it he completed it that's what perfect means said from the cross tetelestai it is finished so for that reason saints need to suffer this is this is why or this is the way they identify with their savior in his suffering not that we add anything to it no 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 He was made perfect through suffering in order to bring many sons to glory. And to accomplish this, they too must be perfected through suffering. This is God's work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's called sanctification. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have all one source. Verse number 11. So Jesus came to the end, uh, he came here, excuse me, to end the usurper's stolen reign. And so we read that in verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children must share in uh, in, uh, flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all who through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. He identified with His own, and thus they identify with Him. We do this through persevering faith, pursuing His goal, the promised rest, which He then deals with in chapters 4 and 5, this promised rest. So we read there in verse 10 of chapter 4: whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. We, 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 we've stopped. We're resting in Jesus. We're trusting him. We're relying on his finished work for our behalf, in our behalf, not our own. So if the wavering saints. Then addressed in by this epistle, were attempted to return to Moses and to his system. They need to understand that that ended with the coming of Christ. And if they went back to it, they would be in danger of hardening their hearts in rebellion as their forefathers did. And they would also be abandoning their merciful and faithful high priest who made. Propitiation for their sins. And thus, there are three warnings given to new covenant saints. First of all, beware of neglect. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Isn't that here is here is one of the great grave dangers of, of our Christian walk. We get so busy in this life that we neglect. What is more important, living for Jesus Christ by the principles set forth in the word of God. We drift away from the message. And he warns, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And I think that is one of the things that proves those who, many who have professed Christ to be non-Christians. They really aren't. Because they neglect the faith. Second of all, and that by the way, the first leads to this unbelief. We drift away from the things we heard and then we start doubting the things we heard Dis- un- unbelief so we read in verse 12 3:12 take care brothers lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living god you 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 neglect the truth and drift away from it then that leads you to unbelief and in the unbelief you develop an evil heart and fall away from the living god and that then in turn leads to three disobedience verses three our chapter three verses 18 and 19 and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but to those who were disobedient so, see that you are, that so we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Is there any such thing as unbelieving believers? <laughs> we have, there are Christians out there who claim to be believers who really aren't believers because they don't believe. These sins must be avoided on the on the journey to eternal rest. Thus the saints are admonished, Strive to enter that rest. Verse 11, and why? Verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Believers can do this because God has provided His own great high priest for them. Chapter 5, verses 8 to 10. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, there's that word again. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That brings us to the certainty of God's promise and how this priestly Uh, Melchizedek priestly uh, rule of Jesus Christ fits in so first of all notice the certainty of the promise of God with respect to eternal rest in a new earth requires saints to pursue spiritual maturity perfection we read therefore let us leave. This is chapter six, verse one. Let therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, and that's uh, I would I would call that uh, what is preached in most in many uh, evangelical churches. Just come to Jesus, and that's all it's preached. Just come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to. Have you come to Jesus yet? If you need to come to Jesus, now yes, you need to come to Jesus. But that's not all that needs to be preached. So let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ to go on to maturity. Chapter 6, verse 1. Many who profess Christ have fallen away, and they fall away because they're they're not striving for maturity. The word here translated maturity is the noun form of the verb translated perfect in nine other verses in hebrews from this point the author of hebrews then shows god's saving or restoration plan that it exceeds the narrow israel only concept he does this by showing one The son is superior over the house of God, of which Moses, although faithful, was but a servant. Moses is commended. He's a great man. But he was just a servant. Jesus is the son. He's the son. Second, Jesus' priesthood is superior, making the Aaronic priesthood obsolete. God raised up sons of Levi to serve in the temple. And there was a temporary thing because when they died, the high priest always needed to be replaced. Jesus never needs to be replaced. And Jesus was appointed to this and anointed to this high priestly service by God himself after the eternal order of Melchizedek. And I think the significance here of this is understood when one notes that Abraham, the father of Levi, from whom the Aaronic priesthood proceeded, paid tithes to Melchizedek. You wonder why that story is in the Old Testament. That when he returned from the battle, there overlocked, Melchizedek the priest of Salem came to him and blessed him and Abraham paid tithes to him. Because God wants you to understand that that priesthood was superior to the priesthood of Aaron. So this proves that the perfection was not possible through the imperfect Levitical priesthood. So we read there in chapter 7, verses 18 to 22. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness. That's referring to the Mosaic law and the priesthood that, it, that administered that law. It's weakness and uselessness. And then he gives us a parenthesis here. For the law made nothing perfect. <laughs> There's that word again, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through uh, which we draw near to God, and this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. All that preceded, all that preceded Christ is imperfect and thus temporary. And so we read there in chapter ten, verse one: For since the law was but a shadow. Of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by its by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year by a year, uh, every year, make perfect those. Here's that word again. Make perfect those who draw near. So, in coming to do the Father's will, Jesus does away with the first, in order to establish the second. And, that, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. So Jesus finished everything necessary to bring all of his followers to perfection. So we read here in chapter 10 verses 12 to 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. We're in that period right now. For by a single offering He has perfected, there's that word again, for all time, those who are being sanctified. Now, there's a solemn warning. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving in the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. The law of Moses warned that anyone who set aside that law died without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So we read, How much much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So the author then remind reminded them of the former days when they endured a hard struggle with suffering. because what they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one. That's chapter that's chapter 10 verse 34. With all the warnings and admonition, the author, Hebrews then expresses his confidence in the grace of God at work in these wavering saints. So that chapter closes with verse 39. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So we too are to endure difficulties, trials, sufferings, and in in our process of doing the will of God and entrusting our souls to a faithful Savior. That brings me to this. Our, and that's the full assurance of faith. Are you discouraged with your suffering? Remember, you have a better possession and an abiding and eternal one. So we read there in chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And That's where chapter 11 comes in with, the, with this litany of old covenant saints who endured because they believed and hoped for a better promise. So believers need to understand that Jesus, victorious over death, rose and ascended to the Father's right hand. He is now enthroned as King of kings and Lord of Lords. And thus we read: When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for From that time until his enemies should be made the footstool of his feet. That's chapter 10, verses 11 and 13, or 12 and 13. The author then cites Psalm 110, verse 1. Paul expounded on this reference in 1 Corinthians 15 when he declared that the end will come after he raises all whom he has redeemed from the dead. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to the Father after destroying every rule and, a, and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-four to 26 So two things are happening during this gospel age. Number one, He's judging the unbelieving, rebellious world under the control of Satan and will destroy it. It is being destroyed even now. Doesn't look like it. Sometimes you get a little discouraged. It doesn't seem like it, but it is. Number two, at the same time, he's sanctifying his own and separating them from the world. That's why the scripture said, don't love the world. We're being separated from the world and Satan's control. In other words, the, the same plan inflicts on the ungodly pain to punish them. The same kind of pain is used to discipline and sanctify his own. Do you see that? The same pain he's inflicting on the enemy, he's using for you to be sanctified. And in the 12th chapter, we are admonished then on, on this basis to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, and is seated, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then that's verses 1 and 2. So in so doing, we must consider him, verses 3 and 4, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So we must remember that for th- th- that all this is for discipline we suffer we endure God's treating us as sons in order that we may share in his holiness his sanctification so the work of sanctification is actually brief did not last very long I'm in my 80th year and I tell you what it went fast it's it's just a vapor, it's a shadow. It appears for a second and it's gone. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Verse eleven. So in conclusion, let me just close with this. Hebrews is often called the lettuce patch. L- the lettuce patch. Because. Of the frequent. Fourteen times. We find the little phrase. Lettuce. Us. Lettuce. Us. To introduce an admonition. And I really think you'd be well. To go through there. And put all these together. And, and I'm going to read them. To close this message. Here it is. Therefore. While the promise of enduring his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to fail to have reached it. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Chapter 4, verse 11. Since then, we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Let us hold fast our confession. Fourteen, four, verse fourteen. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Fourteen, sixteen. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ to go on to perfect to maturity. Chapter 6, verse 1, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as the ha- as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more that as you see the day approaching. Chapter ten, verses 25, 22 to twenty five. Therefore, since we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily, or so closely. Excuse me, and. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. 12.1 and 2. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship. 12.28 Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have only we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come through him then let us offer continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name 13 13 to 15 Father thank you for the encouragement of the book of Hebrews for letting us know so clearly and plainly the plan of God with respect to Jesus Christ. That the old covenant saints could not receive what they hoped for because Jesus had to come and establish a new covenant and then gather in a new covenant body the assembly of the firstborn and when they were sanctified both then both old covenant saint and new covenant saint could be perfected together with Jesus Christ to live with him forever in a new earth thank you lord for that truth and lord let keep let us keep that in our minds as we face discouragements and troubles and dis and suffering as we keep our eyes on Jesus we'll praise you in Jesus name